0: Right, today I'm on the Zoom call talking to Rich Hassel. Rich, you've been the mystery punter for a couple of blogs. Uh, how come you decided to go public after being under the radar for decades?
1: Yeah, hello, Simon. Um, thanks for making me sound really old. <laughs> but very true, yeah, for, for many years, obviously, tried to stay under the radar best I can. Um, you know, or I'd always be first in the queue to say, never educate your competition. Um, you know there's no value in it it's not a team sport Um, but however you know the world's changed the industry's most certainly changed and probably people you you fought your competition in the past we're all now facing the same problems um i'm sure we'll cover some if we can and um you know if if anyone can take anything from you know some sort of approach i've done absolutely you know good on them um and on top of all that yeah it's just been my job it's, it's certainly no hollywood story of winning millions losing it or winning it all back again none of that it's um it it's not going to suit the gamblers it probably sort of suit more the punters that are just after um you know looking at things slightly differently and it's certainly more torts than the hairstyle so fasten your seat belts.
0: just tell us what it is you do for a living
1: yeah for just shy of 20 years i've made my living betting on uk greyhound racing um certainly in the the last sort of 10 years or so primarily what what i've done is um through custom software that was designed myself and a friend um i can keep track of all going allowances going biases season dates every start under the sun All singing dancing it's it's just a great tool you know public form just won't do that for you and you know anyone out there in Graham Racing's gonna know exactly what I'm talking about Um, so it's a huge yes to have that Um, on the punting side I've definitely uh, taken an approach to more sort of kidology Um, you know adapting and evolving just in ways to try and extend some longevity really and um, you know stay sort of a a grey man in betting betting world sort of thing if you like
0: so was there any gambling history in your family
1: no no history at all Uh, black sheep of the family don't think my mum dad or grandparents or anyone have been in betting shops or greyhound tracks certainly until i started owning some of my own dogs um I, I, i see that as an edge though um because i haven't got any sort of gambling running through my through my veins I haven't got any baggage I've got no sort of war wounds or scars from any incidents gambling where it got out of control never has and um you know as a headstrong teenager going down the dog track it was a blank canvas um you know I, I know other friends through Graham Racing same sort of age and um even by their own admission they got a bit out of control teenage years you know they they love dogs just as much as me like a parallel universe but they got out of control and out of control gambling and um you know they managed to turn it around though so it's, it's, there's hope for everyone
0: so why, why did you gravitate to greyhounds and not horse racing which is probably the more popular product
1: of a misspent youth simple as that um during the summers i was always, you know quite a sporty kid it was always out and about um but during the winters we didn't have much to do so all of my mates from school and stuff like that we used to go down the dogs and 20p to get in one of the lads mums worked on the tote so we could have a bet if we wanted but it, it wasn't about gambling at all we were just besotted by the dogs you know it was some spectacle um 25 dogs down there in portsmouth but grass straights under floodlights. it was it was incredible and um you know you could pick up pick it up easy that's why racing reactions been popular for hundred odd years it it was easy what it said on the form um contrary to what it probably does these days but what it said on the form then pretty much happened every dog once you started knowing them which you do you're like a sponge at that age you knew what they were going to do you know all their little traits if they move off at that bend if they finish fast or whatever you knew everything you knew everything in a very short space of time and we were just we were just um in awe of them really so it had nothing to do with gambling we were into the sport of greyhound racing and to think there was like 20 30 school-aged lads down there it's quite incredible to think uh, that I doubt we'll ever see that again.
0: I mean, to be honest, greyhound racing has sort of had a bit of a downbeat image, hasn't
1: it? I think it's a bit bit late to change that, unfortunately. And um you know, even since I Portsmouth dog track was rough and ready, sort of falling apart when I went down there. But the racing was great. So if you if you took all that away, you would have gone to a field to watch. Those dogs and that, that setup and that vibrant betting ring, and all the, the people down there, you would go anywhere to watch it. So, we didn't, we didn't care about that. The people that came down that weren't dog people, they loved it because it was cheap night out and it was always promoted as that chicken and chips and a pint. And you have a cheap night down the dogs, a bit of fun. And that's all it ever was that that dog track, because we were, you know, division three, if you like. You had Hove, you know, the big brother of us was Hove, um, you know, n- another level. You know, on on track as well. The, do- the quality of dogs down at Hove then. Wolfram style course, flagship, and um, you know, if you wanted, if there was an upmarket Champions League, it, but it was tiered nicely. The thing in dogs now, we haven't got that. But there we had Division Three, we had grassroots, we had going up, and then you had your Premier League tracks, and it and it worked. It was a great model. Um, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of tracks, and that sort of model's broken as well. Um, but again, other things we we might well come into. Um, I mean, even on the, the terms of being down market and people looking down their nose at it. If, um, you know, recently someone said, oh, to me mum and dad, how's Rich getting on? Is he doing all right? Yeah, he's doing fine. What's he doing again? Oh, he's trading on stocks and shares. Simple answer, and they're like, oh, that's really great, brilliant, I'm, you know, well done to him. If they say, oh yeah, he's betting on greyhounds, they're like, oh, that's a, bit, that's a bit funny, isn't it? So, yeah, you know, it's, um, I, that is never ever gonna change, so what can we do?
0: Well, I've interviewed some uh, professional Greyhound punters. They're quite big characters. Were there any characters you remember on course?
1: Yeah, there most certainly was. And, um, you know, let's say I started in the dogs in the 90s. These guys were there in the 80s and 70s, a generation above me. I mean, um, you know, I had the bug, but they had the disease. You know, they got it gambling and Greyhounds running through their blood. They're never going to be able to get it out. Um, I listened to them, and, you know, probably would have been the same for me if I was that generation older. I would have been the as purest of a greyhound as they are, you know, they saw Ballerigan and Bob, they saw it all first hand, you know, once you see stuff like that, I don't think you, there's no coming back. Um, but, yeah, inevitably, um, you know, like, like I say down the dogs, it, it was certainly low level, the grading was miles behind Hove and Wolframstone places like that, but we had elite level sort of people going down there sometimes, um, what <laughs> I mean by that is, like you know, on a Friday, we'd have people come from all over the, all over the south of England to go to Palm because it was what it was. Great action! It was you know it was all action, thick and fast. You know, um, the punting ring was vibrant, everything. So we had the Hove guys come down. We had um, people from all over the. The South and people I know now in dogs that I didn't know then, they go. We used to go down to the Pompey then. I was like, you live miles away. How did you used to go? Then they used to go. They used to go because it was it was a dog man's paradise in some sense, I suppose. You know, not in the glitzy way, but it was <laughs> really really fit the bill for some people. Um, I mean, look, there was um, you know sort of talking about this pretty recently. There was a huge amount of people down there you know, there's probably two, 300 hardcore grand people. And when I say that, it's like, probably that's the amount of people in the UK at the moment that are hardcore. And what do I mean by hardcore? A massive percentage could make a living punting on dogs. A massive percentage went on to work in the industry. You know, um, some of the bookies are still going. A um, lot of people working for bookmakers. You've got your very own um, Lofty, Mike Chapman for Star Sports. He was a three night a week, Pompey man for years and years and years. And um, I think Pompey, uh, Lofty actually won the Portsmouth Jet the Judge competition once, don't know I remember that, but that's how legendary it was. If you had to win that, that's a high level. Um, that would be akin to a national greyhound competition these days, but it was just down Pompey Dogs on probably a Tuesday night. <laughs> uh, lights in, you know, you're naming lights above the city. But they were brilliant days. Um, I'd, if I could bring back any track, I'd bring back Portsmouth like a shot. What a, a great place to learn sort of your apprenticeship of greyhounds. You could learn everything there.
0: Now, you were a young lad. Did you ever get intimidated by any of these fellas?
1: No, t- never intimidated my life in, in grounds, no. I mean, um, I was going there 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way up. And um, if anything, they were really good to you because some of my mate's brothers were down there. And uh, they were, again, the 80s lads, you know, that generation above me. And they were telling us about Bellerin. They'd tell us about Scurlock Champ. They'd tell us, oh, yeah, we get the videos for Christmas of Champ and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they there, there was a lot of sort of money ball moments. What I mean by that is, I saw through it like a just saw through it straight away. Guys down there, big brash, big egos, having it on scene from the rooftops, I'm monkeys on here, I'm the best judge, all this sort of stuff. You saw it all a month later, their skin. You know, it, I, I worked out very, very quickly, this game's only a battle of me versus my knowledge of grounds and my ability to bet. And if I make a profit, it's got nothing to do with who's the biggest punter, who's the best judge, who turns out. It's not really anything to do with that. It's more a game of this, just a game making a profit. Simple. End of discussion. So. I didn't really care about any of that. And a lot of my mates would follow the money. Oh, look, he's had a monkey on, he's had a ground on. But you don't know who that is. It might not be clever money. It might be a a weight of money, but it's not clever money. It's not someone who stayed up till four in the morning doing the videos. It might be just some bloke who's a millionaire and has had a giant chunk on something. So none of that ever made sense to me. I always had to think of everything. Um, I mean, a lot of the guys down there, they would talk, 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 and 99 times out of 100, in one ear, out the other, you don't need it, but a lot of them, and, you know, I'm talking about guys that won't win and stuff like that, but a lot of them, they'd tell me something and it would be solid gold. I remember it. It'd be like straight in there and it'd be logged. And I'd walk home from the dogs and I'd be thinking, he's right about that. And I'd keep questioning it and I, and I couldn't put it wrong. And I was like, yeah, he's right. I'm going to keep that and I'd use it. And, um, you know, slowly I'm building up this. Um, what I wanted to do was take from the guys that knew what they were doing, I wanted to take their plus points, but what they did wrong, get rid of it. And, you might do all right out of it. That was sort of my mentality at the time. I suppose it's the same in most things, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was great. And the bookies used to look after me a bit because I was a youngster. So I, I cottoned on pretty quick that if I wanted a fiver or a tenner, you know, the odd 20 quid, I could always ask for more with the bookies because were they being nice? Not really, but they want your fiver, tenner, 20 customers, they want that. And also, when you're young, they probably think, oh, they're the, you know, our future customers, we look after them. So I caught on pretty quick that that was a proper play.
0: Now you were learning all the time, but was there ever a real light bulb moment there?
1: Too many to mention, light bulb moments, too many to mention. Um, fundamentally, stuff like when we was at school, we read a book about greyhound racing, while we're supposed to be doing something in the class. And um, it was about season bitches. You know, when they're seven, sixteen, seventeen weeks out of season, check their weight, check their form before season. Have a look at them on parade if they're walking around on, their, on up on their feet or they're, you know, all sorts of little tips and things on season bitches. And um, sure enough, down the dogs were circling on season bitches, and we're having success, solid gold, bang, season bitches, as good as it gets. It's up there in the top five. Uh, go as far as say thirty years later or whatever. I'm going through season pitches on trial sheets, anything that comes over from Ireland, everything is looked at and spent time on each individual one. I'm not missing them. I mean, in the old days you used to have season dates declared, um, but not anymore. They, they, some are declared, some are not. They're, not. they're not hot on it. You know, the sport's mismanaged. Um, so there's one way of looking at it. It's gonna suit me more. It's unfair to the general public because they're not gonna see this thing unless they're spending hours like me doing it. But nevertheless, it's a huge edge for me. So I'll, again, I'll use it to my advantage. Um, the other thing you had at the time was what we called hooks down there, dodges, and what that is, there's the dogs, that like the pack dogs, you know, they're not really um, chasing the hair, they're playing about, mine's not on the job. You know, if you called something a hook down there then, it was black and white, You were, the owner would want to fight you in the car park, you know, it was that bad. Um, but now, obviously, we've moved on from that and people have got half a clue. And um, you know you can use those dogs to your advantage because you know they don't really want to win you know roughly what they're going to try and do in a race and they can muck another dog up and leave a race for a finisher and you need to know these screws so season dates dodges all that sort of stuff you need to know but the biggest one of all was um really to do with the ground and the weather so it's grass straits back then out at portsmouth right near the sea you could have four seasons in a day you know that place would be covered in fog in three minutes well, I remember one day, the rain just come in and bottomed out the, the mud, and the dogs were skipping away out the mud, and I remember the bitch our back, she was tailed off. She got beat to the moon. Well, a couple of weeks later, sure enough, she's in an easier race, she's bigger odds, and it's a bright sunny day. She wins off the track. I thought, yeah, this, this ground, it, the form don't tell me. The form told me it was 20 slow, but it didn't tell me it was favoring the inside or the outside. I mean, people got a memory like goldfish. You'll forget two weeks ago, you'll forget that, and you'll forget the, certainly, the intricate ones You'll you'll forget. So I thought, I need to um, start writing this down on a calendar. And, um, you know, I really got into it by then. And I thought, you know, instead of meeting the lads at quarter past seven going in, I'm going to get down there at quarter past six when the gate's open. I'm going to take the calendar. I'm going to write down all these biases and mark them on the race card. I'm going to do all the weight sheets, watch the trials, and get a bit more, a bit more serious about it. So loads of, um, yeah, loads of memories and light bulb moments that have stuck with me from even that young.
0: Okay, Rich. When I was doing my research, you told me that you uh, could have been a professional golfer, but you went pro punting instead. You regret that?
1: Um, well, no regrets. But I didn't actually leave golf to um, become a pro punter. That's there's a probably near on two year timeline to that, um, which we could go into. But. Yeah, I mean, um, I loved golf. I loved golf like I did dogs. I had the the proper bug for it. It was crazy. started when I was like 13, but by the time I was 15, I was doing quite well playing the junior opens and playing with Justin Rose, a bit of a claim to fame. You know, he's like three, four, years younger than me, but that's how good he was. He was playing with the older boys. And um, yeah, a lot lot of good players that went on to be on tour and stuff like that. So when I was school, they offered me the PGA apprenticeship at the local course that you, basically what you do with that is, it's for probably the players that are not so further forward. Um, Ian Porter, I think, did did it that way as well. I think a couple did. And what you do is you learn like more about coaching as well. You learn about running you know, running a golf course. You do, you learn about everything to do with golf. So you've got a career in golf, whatever way you want to go. If you want to be a coach, you want to be you do whatever you want. And so it's great. You know, I was out of there, out of school on a Friday. I was into that on a Monday. So no going to college or uni and going partying and doing all what we mates were all doing. Um, and I was, you know, I was really into it. You know, I was really into golf. But I suppose after a few years, um, you know, your head gets turned. You're a bit young. You, you know, my mates are out drinking, girls, and especially dog racing, probably worst of all. Um, you know, they used to go, what are you wasting your time going dog racing for? That's an old man sport, dead end. That's what they'd say all the time. But they didn't realise I was actually doing quite well out there. You know, like, in terms of my wages, I was like, sometimes doubled my wages going down to dogs, and what, what I could earn from there. Um, and I was going in the bookies by then as well because I was sort of 17, 18 and that sort of age and when my mates had a day off in the week we'd go anywhere, whoever had a car we'd be going off to like Walthamstow bags we'd be going off to Bristol bags we'd be doing all sorts of stuff Um, so it was great days that was Um, well, you know, going going back to golf there was sort of a light bulb moment actually um, because I thought about this and it was like my local hero at the time a guy called Rob Edwards used to work with him And we used to practice after work, things like that. And he was just another planet. You know, to us juniors, he was like our local, he was our local hero. And uh, one year he left the course to go and try and get his tour cards. But he went on the Challenge Tour, which is like the second one down, like the championship, if you like. And uh, I remember he won an event. I think it was the Danish Open. So, you know, he did did well. He won an event um, and he got invited to the Volvo PGA Tour Championships at Wentworth. The, you know with the big boys and I remember in the practice round we we're walking the fairways with him we beat Colin Montgomery in the practice round so I don't think he made the cut I don't think he made the cut but um you know he could tell you know he, he could mix it um anyway he come back from that first season off and we said how'd you get on And he broke level you know after all his expenses and getting around he broke level and we were like what that's like that, you know devastated being inside really because I was like you know, I'm going to spend five, ten years trying to emulate Robert and Steve Richardson and all them sort of local, the the ones we looked up to, well, Nick Fowler's obviously a hero and stuff like that, but, you know, people were looking up to and know, what, know really what level you've got to get to. It wasn't the featist, just very realist. And um, and because my, my head was turned to more of a, you know, this golf's hard. You know, anyone who thinks professional punting's hard, you, it's like a joke shop, Um not at all. We're not the ones having to run around a dog track 28 seconds, but if you're playing golf, well, you're doing it all. Not only have you got to have the mentality, the mindset and that sort of thing, you're doing the lot. Um, so, yeah, I, I really got disillusioned with it. Um, coincided with this sort of time is when I was getting an earner down the dogs, like, you know, proper. I was writing it down each month. I was... With it, I was even winning the bookies a little bit. You know, again, not getting self out of Think I could make a living or anything like that. But I was, I was sometimes doubling my wages and getting an earner. Um, and I bought a dog. Great idea. Didn't even own a car at that time. So there's your there's your priorities as a young kid, isn't it? Didn't have a didn't have a dog, but I'll, uh, sorry, didn't have a car, but I want a race dog. So I saw it in sport in life. Um, repeat mating this bitch out of so and so and so and so and so and so and so. You know, didn't know who they were, but it said Welsh Wizard, who was this Bristol dog I was following. I loved him, he kept winning off the back, he was just a nice, genuine dog. I went, I'll have that, 250, yeah, I'll have that. Mate of mine drove me up to Wales to pick her up. Um, come back, the other lads helped me out, get a trainer, and they said, yeah, there you go, and it was, they worked out as a fiver a day, and plus expenses. And I was like, hmm, it's actually a bit a bit juicier than I thought it might be, you know, I didn't even think about it, that's the sort of age you are, isn't it? So I need someone to come in. Um, it make any of the poppy Dogs us like, l- l- laugh, but Shan, the ice cream man, he was a bookie then, but he ended up a bookie, um, he was down the golf course, and I said, Shan, do you want to come in on this this bitch? I like her brother, I like the half-brother, and I gave him a bit of a spiel about it, and he went, how much do you pay? I said, 250, plus the expenses up to uh, up to Wales. He went, I'll give you a want typical Shan. So <laughs> I learnt, I should have said. just said a monkey, shouldn't I, As you know, but you, you don't, when you're that age or anything, do you anyway? And, um, but he's good as gold, and you know, I think I owned other dogs of him as well, I can't remember. And, um, yeah, so so I had this dog, and I was, you know, really besotted by being an owner. I loved it. You know, when I could go up the kennels on a Sunday, I'd go and do all that sort of stuff that most people do now. And uh, I remember she went through the grade, she was pretty good. So she went all the way up to like S1, so over six pence, she ran an open. Um, you know, a good first one to own, that's for sure. Well, she went from an A6 to an A4, I'm pretty sure it was this day, and um, then she was an outsider because she had a two grade lift. Well, I had, um, I went to the kennels and said, oh, I had 20 quid at six to one when she won on the double up upgrade. And he went, how would you get six to one? She sp nine and two. And I went, well, one of the lads went fives and I just went, oh, can I have six scores? And they went, oh, go on. You know, the typical blag sort of thing. They just saw that, saw that every week. That was, how, that was what the response I got all the time. Um, and he went, oh, right, okay, well done. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Obviously, he must have put two and two together and thought about it. Well, anyway, comes to me after this sort of period and goes, uh, can you put a couple of bets on for me? I went, what do you want? He goes, 20 quid on this and 10 are on this. I thought, fine, no problem at all. You know, that's, that's well in range, um, state-wise, control, you know, it's good as gold. So they weren't favourites. I thought, well, I'll go with him. What I do is I'll just match the stakes he give me. I won't tell anyone, just keep it quiet. And that's the way we roll. And um, I was blagging the death out of him or half point here, point there, I was you know, very red hot on that, and was turning a profit off it each month, easily, you know, just a, not, again, mega money, tortoise job, just chipping away, some months might make a couple of hundred, paid all my kennel bills, didn't it, and things like that, the way I looked at it, it was just, you know, I was just enjoying my hobby, and it was free, basically my hobby was free, and I was learning, and I wasn't losing, was a great recipe. Um, so we were doing this for a while. Well, anyway, he comes to me one time, he goes, you bitches gonna run well tonight, have this on for me. Give me like two and a half hundred quid. I thought, bloody hell, normally gives me 30 quid, 40 quid. So I thought, okay, well, to, this, this is a goer. I had about 70, 80 quid on me at the time, I think, something like that. Regularly, most I ever had on at that point in my life. And uh, my mates are there with me, oh, I'll have 20, I'll have 30. Went and told Shannon, I'll have a one So we had a bit of a chunk um, between us. Um, and we get round the main ring, nine to four. Smash bang bang wallop gone. Want um, us twos? gone. Well, one of my mates was clerking, um for one of the main bookies, and I said, "Can I have twos? And he went, "That's the owner." And he can go go on down to the owner. You can have like two and a half or whatever I wanted. Um, I think they usually look after owners better at dog tracks, and I think the bookies had more of a, you know, they they were doing well. They they look after owners, and I think they would look after the younger people. That's why I saw it anyway, because they're thinking future customers. It made sense. Um, anyway, let lad's got on 7-4, 6-4, when odds on. Um, first bend, she's last. But going around the third bend, she's gone 3-4 clear, drawing away to win. So go around and sort out the trainer. And I said, I've got you twos. He went, I thought it opened 9-4. And I'll tell you as a compliment, I think he probably thought, oh, we get fours. I'm such a good blagger, this kid. Well, no, I said, no, obviously, you're, you're chaos out there. You know, everyone wanted on. And, you know, I know what grand racing is. I knew that there was a certain level you didn't want to start punting over. You know, I was learning valuable lessons again, taking them on board. The moment you go over a certain level, you're into a slightly different game. You're into a slightly different way. You're not going to be able to blag. You're not going to be able to sort of maintain under the radar. But the other thing was, obviously, it was all kennel staff money. And there's so many people down at dog track that I reckon would rather have a pat on the back than win a 50. honestly do, you know, it's an ego sort of thing. I think they look like to go down and get on this tonight, get on this, this is gonna go well. And you have to be careful of that. L- you know, loose lips sink ships. So I, I straight away, I clocked it. I thought there's only, there's, there's only because there's like a Chinese whispers. Ken Owens told someone else with a big mouth. They've told someone else and everyone wants to look good, simple. So um, never forgot it, never forgot it. Um, so yeah, in conjunction with sort of this love of dogs and, you know, I definitely took my eye off the ball with golf, got a bit disillusioned and, um, yeah, I left golf. Are
0: there any similarities in your mindset to, uh, from golf to punting?
1: It was uncanny, absolutely uncanny. Um, you know, let's think for starters, you plan, spend a lot of time on your own practising. That would be the time you spend alone doing your videos and your form. You know, you're always on your own. Um a round of golf takes about the same time as a greyhound meeting, four hours, three, four hours, and that sort of thing. So you need to be concentrating for that period solidly. Um, you know, each race could be the equivalent of a golf hole. You know, if you, have a good, if you make a birdie, what do you do? Keep a lid on it, stay in the zone, repeat. It's the same as if you had a winning race. Don't get carried away, repeat, carry on. Um, if you ever lose it, you know if you hit a ball in the trees and have a bad you need to really fire yourself up, bounce back quick. You ain't got time to be moping about feeling sorry for yourself. Same as if you lost on a race, it's just come on, you've got to move on. You've channeled that anger back up. You know that you, you the, these things were amazing. Even go to the extent after the round, what do you do? You evaluate your performance. What did I do well? What didn't I do well? Right, let's go back to the practice ground, work on it. And it's a constant uh, a constant circle. So without knowing it. I already had this these uh, mental skills, and this um, outlook just was a transition into pro punting. It's exactly the same, especially pro punting on grounds. Um, you know, and the work ethic and everything like that that just was was natural in me from such a young age. so I had absolutely no drama at all of any of that. Um, yeah, so you know, I'm quite thankful for that.
0: Then, of course, you're in the era that uh, the exchanges come in. Was that a game changer? Well, of
1: course, yeah. Anyone around the same sort of time in the early 2000s is going to say exactly the same. If it wasn't for Betfair, I wouldn't, be, wouldn't have done what I did. Um, however, how it came about, ironically, it's, it's not one of these you wake up in the morning and think you're going to be a pro punter. It don't happen, didn't happen for me like that. I doubt it happens to too many. Um, I was left golf and I was sort of just munging around. And my dad said, look, you can't do this. You're going to have to do something. You, know, you can't just mung around. Um, so, I he said, go in the Royal Air Force. Now, my dad was an officer in the Navy, and my granddad was in the Navy. But he said, go in the Air Force. I said, why well, go in the Air Force? He said, they got the most money for sport. You play golf for the Air Force, you play golf for the Tri-Service. I thought, yeah, all right. So I went down to the careers office. They said, uh, what do you want to do? I said, the intelligence analyst. They said, you need a degree for that? I said, I ain't got a degree. I said, I left, uh, work on a, I left school on a Friday with C and maths and English and sport, and I was like, Playing golf on a Monday, he went all right. So I did an aptitude test, and they went, "Yeah, you can get in without a degree." Crazy because of golf. So he was right; he was true. They are really into it that bad. So um, yeah, I went in. You did need a degree to do that job. You know, I was bottom of the class, absolute dunce. Um, you know, I couldn't keep up with these lads. They were fresh out of uni, computer geeks. I was just not in the not in the same league as them. But I did have a big edge on my fitness. You know, I was obviously a sporty kid. So. Even though I was bottom of the class, I did have some sort of edge. But to cut a long story short, I got injured on a, like this little salt course thing. And there was a massive cock up. I had to go to bloody Bedford. The, the, the base hospital was shut. I had to go to Bedford a and I was there for like six hours or something stupid, eight hours. And um, they were at least they were honest. They said, look, you might have a problem down the line. You, you're OK, but you might have a problem down the line. Um, here's a compensation package you can take if you want and, and leave because we might not be able to offer you the position you originally wanted. And um, so I took it and, you know, there's, there's always the backup. The good thing about services, is always a backup that you get a pension or an ongoing physio and stuff like that from them if there is these problems. So there I am, back at my mum's. My mum and dad got divorced. I uh, moved back to Portsmouth, I'm back at my mum's house. I'm on crutches. Got nothing going on. 25 years old. Go, I oh, hobble around the bookies. My, mate, my mate's brother Dave's in there. He says, uh, you still following the dogs much? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, you know, when I was away, I was going to Milton Keynes, I was going to Henlow, was all sorts of stuff. He said, have you tried Betfair? I said, what is that? He said, online, you can bet against other people, you can lay bets, you can put your own prices in, do all sorts of, this sounds like paradise. So I went home, and obviously I got a couple of grand in the bank, that's it to, me, to my name, and um, just from mucking around for three, four weeks, I'd caught like, you know, just under two grand. I I was waiting, I had a job offer. It was like 1,500 a month for this job. I just won 1,800 quid in three weeks, messing about. I thought, I've got no responsibilities. All I need is moving my mates, I need my rent and beer tokens. You know, why don't I just have a go at this for a while? This is really good fun and just see what happens. And Basically, that was it.
0: That was it. No looking back then. Okay, Rich, let's get into how you actually do it. You you tell me that you, you play tracks differently and you did exotic mug bets.
1: Um yeah, so Betfair was going well um yeah, sort of came about I had a few tracks that I was playing at the time, um for different reasons I had different ways of playing them I had um Crayford Wolfram Stowe sunderland um and i will play them in different ways because I could see who was um you know the better quality of judges, really if I'm honest, it was simple as that you know, Walthamstow, the best dogs, it was the best racing, the, the best people were there. And what you do there is I play very reactive. I play like I did at Pompey there, because Pompey was a vibrant market as well. People knew what they were doing. I'd let them bash the market about, and right at the end, what looks too big? What's the wrong bet? I'll have a little bit on that and a little bit on that. And your strike rate's not particularly high because you're not proactive in picking what you think's going to win, but inevitably you're nicking the value at the end right at the end you know you leave it on betfair you could do the same as what you did with the bookies you could just leave a price there if it got taken good on you if it didn't get taken no problem with me take it or leave it i, I know i want a big price that and you'd get it because Waltham, so they'd smash into the first couple in the market, but they were better than that. They'd still back the third and the fourth in the market. And the racing was so good then, you could bet on trust. You could even back the sixth in the market and they'd come in now and again, not not so much like these days, but let's not go into that. Um, Crayford was a very volatile track. I know most people don't like it, but the weather came in there. Anything could sort of happen. Again, judges pretty good. Um, you know, you've got to work hard. You can stay up late at night and find extra things they're not going to find. To, to have a bit of a chance, you play a bit more proactive there as well, though. But Sunderland on the other hand, don't want to get into a north-south divide here. But Sunderland, no, they weren't anywhere close to the the level of the southern boys. Not not a chance in a million years. Um, you know, favourite, second favourite, A, B, C. They they had nothing. Um, and there, I was proactive as you like. I just go in and just have what I wanted. You know, like first first. You know, I, I, I knew what was going to happen. I mean, then was a the, around that sort of time as well. Um, there was a the, one of the main trainers at the track. It's um, he was renowned. They used to pump these dogs in from all sorts down the odds on. You know, sheep involved. With, you know, rub stupid, really, but. Of course, there was a lot to come of that. But I, you know, I could see what they were going to do before they even think about doing it. It was so obvious what they were going to do all the time. And I'd just play it how I wanted to play it. Plus, the biases at um, Sunderland, there was pre-drainage. They never used to react to even a bias. I mean, it's, uh, the very rare time you'd have biases down on some of the, the Southern tracks, the bookies and people like that, they would act quick. You'd get three races and they'd go oh, it's raining, it's gone wide at Hove, or it's gone wide at or whatever. Very rare, but it would be acted upon immediately because the right people were there. Um, these sort of tracks you know Sunderland them was was in my opinion a poor level but I loved it you know don't don't take it derogatory I loved it and I loved how I could play it the the thing was going back again I like playing these uh, dodge pots to so come second and third and play the forecast and try cards you couldn't do that on betfair so I'd go in the bookies and uh, I'll be betting these dodge pots to come second. Now this was around the time, early in my career, this was the time of Hot Jewels at Swindon, best one I've ever seen by a mile. You know, if I'm gonna have pictures on my wall, Westmead Ork and some picture, I want I want Hot Jewels up there. You know, it mattered to me as, just as much. Um, and Rycott Honcho was at Monmore, same time. So different meetings, but they always run on the same day. Those bags meetings were running side by side some days. So I used to go in and play little stuff, three, four quids, Second to the field, Hot Jewel, second to the field. Rykott On Show, second to the field. Forecast doubles, you know. 25 forecast doubles, stuff like that. Or trim it down, have my jackpot scenario. Plus, if they were gonna come second, what's the trio? You know, you go back to Pompey days. I want betting 20Ps on three to one shots when we were down there as kids. We were picking trios because we wanted the big dividends off the 20Ps. So we were reading every race for a trio. I still do now. Every race, I'm reading it top to bottom. It's not just, oh, that'll lead up, that'll win, that's it. No, I'm, I'm reading the whole race. I'm reading what's going to happen at the drop. I've always been like that. I'm watching what's happening at the drop. If a dog goes past six clear, you don't watch it go around to the drop. You start looking left, see what's going on behind, picking up all your information. So very easy for me to read races. I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but yeah, it was a piece of cake. Um, so especially when you've got dodge pots of this quality, you knew what they were going to do. So if there was three dogs that got a lead and you got Hot Jules, Hot Jules is going to smash them. It's going to ruin them. They're going to throw in the towels, him harassing them sort of thing. And you have got the two stayers come through or the slugs, and you get you get hundred to one trios all day long, and they, you know, so much juice. So they weren't mug bets. I mean, Hot Jules was going off seven, eight to one every week because really he didn't want to win. He never hardly he did win. And I think the on-course bookies were playing the same game as me. And certainly at the end they were. They were pushing it out because the dividends were coming in 30, 40 to 1 on these forecasts. It was gonna be second every week. He was second seven times in a row once, I think, something like that. Seven, eight times. Well, the double with Ricot Honcho, just the same. Ricot Honcho was giant prices, playing them in the trios and stuff as well. And you only gotta get these sort of quid forecast doubles in. You get monkeys, you're getting grands. Well, for many years, I'm making my my basic wage. I'm getting a couple of grand a month out of just the dodges. Just the dodges. Nothing to do with fair. nothing to do with that, nothing to do with my little plays, like nicking a grand out of there, nicking a grand out of there. You know, I can make three, four grand a month with, you know, piece of cake. You know, so anyone who says, oh, you can't do this, it's so hard to beat the problem. No, just use, you know, if your skill set is, is high enough, you could, uh, you could do it. Plus, the bookies always pay with a smile back then, because He's doing nothing wrong. He's SP. He's betting like no slips are over 50. He's putting six bets through in the morning. He's buggering off. Doing all these type of things. And uh, of course, keeping your sanity in this game is really important. So if I was going out, I might go and put like a two pound lucky 15 on. On four dogs, I would have backed if I was home on Betfair, but I had to go out. If all four won, okay, I'm not in control of any price there or anything like that, but if all four won, okay, you won won 800 quid off it. It's okay If I was home, I'd have won bloody two, three grand, but I've got something. Keeping that sanity the whole time was ultimate because I, I know how mad I'd go if I made a mistake. So I had to you know, make sure I was on top of it. So all these mug bets, these so-called mug bets, again, you can just kid them and turn it on their head. They're not mug bets at all. The amount of juice you're getting in them is absolutely horrendous.
0: Oh, well, horrendous for the bookies, maybe not you. Tell us about Kidology.
1: Well, i have never heard of the word, there is a word, i have never heard of that word until um, Harry Finley said it to me. Now, I don't even know Harry Finley really, if I'm honest, I've met him like three times in my life. Um, but nevertheless, he did say it and, uh, you know, all credit where it's due. What it was, was around the time uh, Harry had Coventry, um, he, Harry's very good friends with all the, the Portsmouth guys, the old Portsmouth regulars and stuff like that, you know, they're all his, all his good mates. And one of mutual friend Grant, who I know know his dad and everything, know his brother and stuff. Um, Grant was helping Harry out at Coventry, uh, going up every driving every meeting up from Portsmouth to Coventry and back. He was doing it nearly all the time, or you know staying up there sometimes. But he, I bumped into the bookies, or whatever. He said, "Oh, you should come up there. Racing's so good." And um, I said, yeah, thanks, yeah, yeah I will come up." And, the, and one night the racing was good, we went up there, and it was like going to a derby final. It was like, there was an amount of hardcore greyhound guys up there you wouldn't see unless you went to the derby final, or back in Pompey days, you know, it was, everyone from around the country went, really. And uh, it was brilliant. And afterwards we all went through, like, a Chinese or whatever before we went home, and there was a lot of people that I don't know as well. And um, Harry's paid for everyone. You know, all the Chinese, all the beers paid for everyone. Well, I don't know him, and I felt a bit, like, uh, Grant, hang on, you know, like, can I pay my bit? You know, it's not how I roll, you know, don't want to take Libos. I'm sure Harry's had a load of freeloaders off him in, in his life. But um, he said, no, no, he's had a big win today. He's good like that. He's generous. He always loves doing it. And I said, yeah, even still, you know, I, I'm a bit uncomfortable. Um, he said, listen, don't worry about that. When you come up again, um, just get it, give him a tip. So he loves that. He said he loves that more than you paying for your Chinese. I went, ah, you know, that's fair enough. I could, I could live with that. So, um, not not too distant future, I suppose. We went up there again, I, I didn't forget. I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll find a nice bet, and I'll let him have that bet. And it was a six-pen race. Um, favourite was odds-on, had to lead, but will not guaranteed a lead, really. And also, there was a season bitch in the race, tip, typical me, um, bang out of season. Um, pre-season, she would have beat the favourite, on merit, easy anyway. The weights were right, everything was sort of right, and she had outs, stays on, you know, anyone who knows me know what I'm talking about. Five to one great bet at the price you know not saying you're gonna win you never say that and you ever but great great bet should have been after after price five to one so anyway we get to the track and um grant's coming up to see ari in the office or whatever and he says you got that bet? you got that bet for Harry, have you I said yeah yeah in the six pen race the four bitch he went what price is that i oh, went five to one you might get 11 or two he went you silly f he goes, you can't give him that. He's going to have 10 grand on He won't be able to get on that. He needs like even money shot. I'm like, well, well I ain't got that. So you, know, you bugger it, you know what I mean? That's, you know, forget it. So anyway, um, <laughs> obviously didn't give it to him. So sure enough, after we were back in the curry house, uh, Chinese I think it was. And uh, Grant goes, oh, rich back to four in that six Ben race and you know, he was gonna give it to you. And he went, oh, you know, all right, well he can pay for the Chinese then. I thought for Christ, well done Grant. You know, there's like seven guys that I've done never meet again in my life and I'm thinking I've got to pay for everyone's Chinese now. I'm trying to do a good term for someone, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's quite funny, but I, actually I think Harry paid half the Chinese, so he's a good egg and he didn't, he didn't make me pay at all. But um, as it comes back to, it was a, this was this night, Um, So we just started chatting, and Grant was saying, like, you know, I don't know how he gets away with it. We're all banned from the bookies, and he's not banned, and he's still copping it in there. And I just told Harry roughly what I was doing, what style of bets I was doing, and things like that. Um, You know, at first you, you know, you say intimidated. I wasn't intimidated, but I'm talking to someone who, sort of, to me, he bets in telephone numbers compared to what I'm betting in, and I'm telling him I'm betting these little bets for twenty and thirty quids and stuff like that. But he went, that's Kidology. and I went you know, sort of taken aback. He went, yeah, he goes, I, I, I really love all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, it's, uh, it's clever, I'm into it myself. And I thought, yeah, actually, I'll, you know, I'm su- really surprised he's the first person who's ever sort of worked it out what I was doing. And, and there was a word for it. So I went to check that word and it was right. It was what I was doing was that. It was like sort of a deception or a cunning and trying to make them think I'm not doing what I'm really doing. I'm just looking like I'm just normal punter was really obviously winning and um, it was what I was doing so full spec win because I spoke to many people in my life who I've told them roughly what I'm doing and they immediately cottoned on what I'm doing but he did so um, yeah fair play and uh, you know I, I hope I have success in the future with other things because if you want someone involved in ground racing you want him involved.
0: Right Rich uh, you were talking to me before about um, the 2008 recession and changes you noticed what were they?
1: well a lot a lot i mean let's think back already it's you know i was learning on the job pre-recession again right time right place i don't really believe in luck but you take advantage of the opportunity that are coming for you um like when i was 25 doing nothing i took a chance to do punting it it was you know if i had a wife and kids at the time of the mortgage it wouldn't have happened would it it's just happened to be you know age and the Time, you know, same as the older guys in the, the from the eighties. They got a different outlook to dogs that I have. Um, so, yeah, w- what I noticed the most really was, obviously, the, the loose money dried up, the, lo- the credit cards and the things like that. We were in a reckless time. You could go get a mortgage and get a two grand cash back. It was such stupid time, but. All the credit card punters, all the um, the guys on the machines, they've started drying up a little bit. And I think the bookies, in my head, I'm not saying it happened, but this is my opinion, I just think there was some sort of ball meeting and they're like, right, what are we doing on everything else? We're dog racing, we're taking a bit of a hit. You know, that was the era when we had the troops going in the shops, people with earphones. Um, some were arbing, some were sending out dogs and backing opening shows and all sorts of stuff. It was, you know, it was fair enough. They were getting away with it probably during the recession because the bookies just get so much money in. But um inevitably i think right well what are we going to do well they know what they're doing these boys they're they're good judges if you give them good dogs and a level track um you know they're hard work to beat okay well let's not give them a level track and i've heard the word canine roulette i didn't invent that i've heard it and i've heard it from a couple of people inside the industry and i totally agree with it i just think they thought don't give them a level track let's try and beat them that way it's so short-sighted to what it's done the grand racing but i believe that was certainly up there on the list of trying to Get people beat. Of course, then what you had is the guys that were having 400s on six to four shots and monkeys at twos now going off evens, they're banned. You're not allowed to bet in here anymore. And all of a sudden, I'm sort of dwindling down that I ain't got no one really to hide behind either. So, but thankfully, the type of bets I was doing, I was still getting away, still getting longevity out of it because they were quite happy to take these bets. But what I noticed the most was actually the grounds. Because obviously what I just said, I think they were trying to make K9 roulette. I could not keep up with all my manual highlighter pens and calendars and doing each track and all this stuff. Couldn't keep up, bamboozled. I was gone. Because um, what I was seeing was like, uh, the start of the meeting be different from the end of the meeting. The Saturday morning be different from the Saturday night. It, it, I couldn't keep up. I was gone. You know, from I had a real tight running ship, I had all this, you know, real work ethic, and I was doing it right, and I couldn't keep up. And everyone was suffering in all different ways, you know, people were having to adapt, and I, I just thought, well, you know, I need software now. There was software around, there's been software around a long time, but it wasn't quite how I wanted it. Um, and I just thought, well, this is impossible to do manually now, so I've got to go that way, I've got to do it.
0: Okay, Richard, so this is the last part. Now, you mentioned uh, in the previous part that you needed software. I'm assuming you just can't go into... Ta- to um computer world and buy it so where did you get it from
1: um well yeah how it came about so obviously we just just discussed that i needed software and by then i was getting a bit um you know twitchy i did need it um and what it was a friend of mine who was now a pro punter and when we met he was like a parallel university, in dogs he's more much more of a purist than i am but you know he had a missus and two young kids and so he he went about it in a tougher way you know he packed up work and was pro punting so full respect there he was just doing the opens and him and another fella clever guy they designed like the template for this software and they showed me and are you in on it i'm like yeah well i like it where are we at and they're like well we found a programmer we found someone that can do it um, but you know, it's going to cost 10 grand and the bloke's in Syria. I was like, oh, Christ. and then, and then the next day oh, I've had a, a better bid, six grand in Baghdad. You know, it's some sort of joke, you know, obviously it's a joke, but it was, it was getting ridiculous. So anyway, obviously I become desperate because I couldn't, couldn't really continue the work I wanted to. And uh, a family member of mine was be, between a job. Uh, they didn't know anything about ground racing, but they had, a, you know, an idea of doing this. and. Um, Obviously the benefit being, they may not be a computer programmer, but they, we were on call 24 seven almost, you know, I I need this done because this, here's a video to show you why, here's any explanation you need, and just to make it happen. It's not to pick us winners or anything like that, it's just a tool to make your job quicker, keep track of everything I want to keep track with, videos, watching any video you want against other dogs, against dogs that run, didn't even run against them, All, all sorts of singing and dancing stuff. Um, I've actually got that on YouTube, if anyone wants to look at that software. You can leave a link to it or whatever. Um, and um, we got it done. Now, it was a, a proper game changer then. You know, I, of, of course, I was doing fine out of dogs. You know, I'm living my life right, I was doing it all right, and I was, just, you know, ticking along lovely. But when I got this software, um, for both of us, really, in different ways, but for me, with the ground, I mean, there was, because when you put it in the system, you put it in, as long as your entry's bang on, the form is created, and when you see it a week later in form, you know, on the, in front of you, things pop, jump out in your face, and you go, oh, I would have forgot that, and I wouldn't have seen it, I wouldn't have seen that, and that's interesting. And that's, I'm finding stuff that no one can find. I'm finding stuff then that even my best competitor that will be up till two in the morning watching videos and doing public form, there's no chance they'd be able to see what I've got, um, you know, what, what, what I'm seeing there. So, uh, eventually, um, with all these ground movements and the volatility, I'm finding things that were running in... It was all outgraded, everything was outgraded. So, um, you know, I wasn't changing my my mug bets and exotics, I wasn't really changing it. But the problem was, what I, where I used to play the kid game, if I had a draw in one shot, I wouldn't use that shot for a few weeks and just play some muggy sort of bets in there, like even more, like sometimes I just sort of throw away bets just to keep, the, keep it all ticking. I'd use other shops and I'd, I wouldn't write it actually down. I'm not going to say I would write it down, I probably should have done. But I knew how to juggle it, I knew what the vibe was in each, you know, I started knowing the, the shop staff. They, most of them would become my friends anyway, so they'd tell me if there was any sort of heat coming along, they'd, you know, they would go, no, he's a, he's a good customer and that sort of thing, because, you know, pay for their lunch now and again, bung them a score, that sort of stuff. But nevertheless, I just didn't change mistakes, but I just hit more because this software, it, it, what might have taken me five hours graph took me two, my accuracy went 10 times through, like almost 10 times through the roof of what it felt. So I was hitting all the time. It just became embarrassing how easy it was. It was just a joke. I was using this volatility canine roulette and I was using it in my favor. It was like a joke. Um, well, eventually, of course, all the shops are like, you can't do those bets in anymore because you, you can only, you can't keep going in every, every week and drawing twos and threes and stuff like that. And the odd, you can't do it. Um, it, it don't add up, especially this after the recession, there's no one to hide behind anymore, there's nothing, nothing like that. So, um, yeah, inevitably, uh, it put me in a different position than I've ever been in before.
0: So I'm assuming this is where the networking came in.
1: That's exactly what it leads on to. Um, I couldn't get on, but then there was other people who could get on for me. Now, the, the, the thing is, uh, I met different people. You know, a lot of my childhood mates, they're not gamblers or anything, and they sort of fell out of love with grand racing over the years. They used to be in the grand racing, and, but they're not anymore. But obviously now I'm in more circles with, with a bit more nationwide and gamblers. And gamblers where, you know, they had a reputation in the shop like, oh, if he won 10 grand, don't worry, he would lose 20 the week after. If he won big, he would just start betting big and give it all back. Well, obviously you sort of school him a little bit in that, and it's like muscle memory, isn't it? Once you learn how to do it, you can repeat as soon as you get used to uh, showing an earner out of it and having a, making a bit of profit, it's very addictive. It's probably as addictive as gambling. So they cottoned on very quick, and obviously just keep a lid on it, you know the discipline. Look, if, it were, cop- if it we're winning, don't just go and add zeros on the next week, because you just ruin it all, you just get banned. So I like this dripping tap theory, just keep going. You know, Too many people want to blow it up tomorrow, but you don't know what's there two weeks later, do you? And look what we're seeing in grain racing now. You know, it's, it's, sort of in a bad way so you you should never think that um oh it's you know it's going on forever but you should never really try and blow it up the the following day you know you just want to play it right keep it all balanced um so yeah we had that and I had another mate who was sort of in um he was in circles with a lot of poker players and stuff and he had a bookie it was like a sort of I don't know what he was like an independent but he I think he was laying big stakes bets to a lot of people. Well, he would, he would price match us on dogs, on the TV dogs. The TV dogs was a piece of cake, it was honestly a joke. I mean, bags is like, tough. The TV dogs is like, you know, Charles play dogs. Anyway, the Ricks were always there from the firms, weren't they, but you couldn't really bet them because you get restricted and stuff like that. Anyway, this, this guy would price match us. Well, we weren't getting greedy. We are just like, well, let's try and kid him along. I'll have 200. He has a one so we're 300, we'll have a little Trixie or something. And, and, and yeah, you know, we're betting four to one shots that are going off evens and stuff like that. Because you'd have that in dogs. I mean, the horses, I suppose, people go, it's palpable whereas They weren't palpable. They were all getting paid as well, and it was no issue. And this guy always paid us. But eventually, he's obviously cottoned on this pretty warm, you know, not going anywhere doing this. So he was using our dogs and betting them himself in his other circle. So I don't know what circles he's going in, I don't know where it could have been going. And the thought is, like, look, he's, he's they're heavy hitters. They're making money out of now my dog. So you have to get this mentality around. you like, they're earning off me. I need a drink. But then again, the convenience is this bookie will lay me and pay me what I'm asking, um, to a certain extent. And um, you have to swallow that sort of mentality at the time when I mean, you end up in these sort of networks and different ways. And that's certainly one of them, you know. Um, you, you find that, OK, if they're doing all the donkey work getting on and doing all that and you're guaranteed your price you're like fair enough you know it's still again it's still enough to make a living I was always living right um, so yeah it's uh, and, and also look if you're successful there's plenty of people who will help you to, to you know, if you're a good person, people help you for nothing, wouldn't they? If they can, but if they put a bet on for you or something, and they they can put a bet on it as well, and they get a little drink out of it, everyone's happy, aren't they? At the end of the day, so success helps these your networking. If you if you if you like, you know, if you, um, you know, if you were losing doing it all well and weren't doing it right, no one's going to sort of recommend you, are they? Go, oh, you know, can you put a bet on for me, mate? Uh, does he win? Well, he didn't win when I did it. They're, not, they're just not willing to, want to know, oh, they? least that's the end of the line for your for your network.
0: Now you upset a few people in your blog talking about profiling. Can you elaborate?
1: Big, a huge issue in uh, in the industry. I mean, they probably could. You're know, going to have to stop. You could go on for an hour talking about it. I think it's just absolutely poor. Um, it it's a joke. It's one of the one of the big problems. I mean, yet yeah, as a keyology type person, what you end up with these profiles is the same as what I think when they maybe try to invent canine Roulette they decide what they think is a pro punter this is what a pro punter does heavy singles very selective uh, price always crashes that's a pro punter well it's not is it a professional is someone who makes a living off what they do at the end of the month they can make a living and it don't matter how they did it but they got the money to do it It don't matter what type of bets they did don't matter if they turned over don't matter if they can make x amount a month that they can live off they're professional what they do so this profiling of professionals i think they've left it very like minuscule that this guy fits the category because there ain't many out there. I think they misread dog racing. Dog racing people are very shrewd and uh, I think they just totally uh, said no one to go to that level out there. No one works for that. No one could do that. You know what happens there? No one could do that on purpose. No one could do that. And, you know, they're, thankfully they're wrong. I mean, how stupid is the profiling? There's people out there that generate gamblers. They're they're banned after two bets because they beat SP. Well, anyone can beat SP. Stop putting stupid prices up. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole the whole model is com- is completely broke. I mean, if they invented K&I roulette, it's come back to bottom on the bottom on the behind because now I think they've lost all integrity in the sport. The governing body is mismanaging it as well, and what you're doing, you unfortunately, you're driving away all those greyhound lovers and owners. Majority of punters are owners. You've got to remember they don't want to own dogs anymore, so they've caused a real problem and I think they're out of ideas personally I think they're completely out of ideas and in all aspects, across the board it's just been shown up um, I don't think you can blame COVID for that I just think they've been shown up for
0: um, judgment calls they've made Now people on Twitter they all they just want to know what you make you're not a pro punter unless you tell them Yeah,
1: I'm not willing to, I'm not one to pander to the, the gamblers because gambling's not what, what to do um, but look, I have moment that people sit in a broom cupboard and they, you know, they're always the, the, all the idiots are there to try and pick things off. I'll oh, show us how much you won all that crap. Um, well, in a nutshell, the, the best year I've ever had, I won enough to buy a fair size house. Um, in the, the best day I've ever had, a flat. And the worst day I've ever had, just shy of 10 grand. You know, s- simple as that. Can you still win? You can still win, um, but it, it's not a case of chipping away and you know, doing a daily thing and earning a weekly wage, it ain't that at all now, it's a massive slow play. Um, you read that blog about like the, the, the Predator that I'm talking about, you're waiting for the stars to align now. There's Rick's daily, you've got to let them go, but when you get the, you know, what I would say to the, the average grey amount out there now, yeah, we know they're doing this sort of canine roulette, the surfaces are absolutely atrocious for the majority across the board. When the weather comes in, look how stuck they are. You know, just play dogs in the, in the bad weather, finished. When it ain't bad weather, don't worry about, don't, don't tie yourself out. Just play the weather comes in. I mean, look what happens in the frost. They get caught out, it's bang up the rails. They could, nothing they can do about it. When the rain comes, the insides will go bottomless when they start killing the rail. So all, oh, just just do that. Just do that. I, I, you know, I know people want to have their hobby and go and watch the dogs three nights a week and they enjoy it and they want to read the form and have an idea, but the form's never been less accurate. You know, because you're not seeing, the form's still the same as it in the 50s. You're not having the markings like I've got to tell you when it was inside and outside and fast and slow, favouring dogs and favouring, you know, no one's getting that. Um, I mean, maybe the Racing post, I'll leave an olive branch out there. I'm quite easy to contact. Um, you know, if anyone is out of ideas, I've got ideas, but, you know, I've got no, no power in the game, so there you go. It's pretty much the same as everything, isn't it?
0: All right, Rich, if it became impossible to win on dogs, you've got a sharp brain, would you go on to another sport?
1: Well, cheers, but I don't think it would be impossible to win betting on dogs. Would it be impossible to win the amounts you've always been accustomed to? Potentially, yes. Um... You know, chink in the armors, but it's not really about the bookies as such, is it? Because they're not they're not bookies anymore as such. It's like software we're all playing against. I mean, look, my friend of mine's betting um, on Australia. Absolutely loves it. The software is already working out there, and of course, I oh, will have a go. Will I love it as much? Will I, you know, do I want to do it as much as I, I always did? Um, don't know really. The things like this in life. Um, you know what's going on in the world at the moment it definitely turns your head in other options you've got two young kids now and stuff so who knows who knows um you know if it's there I'm game but i have gotta get me on all
0: right well thanks rich the mystery punter unveiled thank you very much richard hassel
1: thanks a lot